Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's another week, another Monday, and it's November. How did this happen? I hope you all had a fabulous spooky day yesterday for Halloween, and thanks for checking in today. You're in for a real treat because we have author Matthew Fitzsimmons, and he has a fascinating new thriller to chat about. So I'm excited. If you haven't read him yet, I'll read his short bio here, and you can get to know him. Matthew Fitzsimmons is the author of the best-selling Gibson Vaughn series, which is Poison Feather. He was born in Illinois and raised in London, England, and he now lives in Washington, D.C., where he taught English literature and theater at a private high school. And you can read more about him on his website, and I did put a link right there on Blog Talk, so if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that link and check out what he has coming up. Sorry about my puppy there in the background. Um, (laughs) This is live radio, and without any further delay, are you there, Matthew? I am, Lisa. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And you have a brand new book called Constance. You want to tell everybody why they should go grab it this week? Well, it is a. I'd love to. It's a. Um, it's a thriller set in the near future uh, and presupposes human cloning is a possibility. And basically, you know, so my elevator pitch. If you were trapped in an elevator with me, uh, I would say that the book <laughs> is about a woman who dies and is cloned and has no memory of how she died. And so the clone has to investigate and try and find out what happened to her, the, the, her original, if you will, um, before the, before whatever nefarious forces uh, did her in the first time and get a chance to do it again. I love that. And I saw when I was reading up about the book, I saw that there is in, in your distant future, there is like a whole company that you can buy your clone for the future and they'll download you into it. Is that, is that something that you can use like to make it a series or is this just a standalone? Uh, I am in fact writing one, I'm, I'm writing a companion book to it. So it's sort of a, a, a duology. If I, I, I think that's the industry term for it these days. Um, so I am writing a second a book in a second companion book to it. Uh, yeah, it takes place in 2040. So it's, it's not too distant. It's only about 20 years from now. And uh, uh, the, 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 the way the technology is presupposed to work is that, uh, the, the company will keep a, a downloaded cop, an uploaded copy of your consciousness, your memories, your personality, all the things that make you you, and a an extra clone of your body, so that in the event that there's sort of an accident or something terrible happens, the the stored consciousness will be downloaded into your your clone, and your life can sort of continue with sort of a minimal interruption, rather than that being the end of the road for you. That's the idea, anyway. <laughs> So your death just becomes a little roadblock, and you're fine. You're back on. <laughs> right. It's sort of. It's sort of. If you think of it as the most expensive life insurance policy in the world. 
I love that. And I have to ask, um, did you watch Upload on Amazon? Have you seen that show yet? I have not. Is that the one about the um, uh, uh, sort of the afterlife? Is that, is that what yeah, that one is? Yeah, it's like virtual reality. Yeah, so they're not using clones like your book, but it's where they upload your consciousness and you choose your your forever right. after your eternity home, and they download you into a virtual reality you, and they download right. your consciousness into there. And it's it's a fascinating show. I'm still waiting for season two, but wow, it was. It was really interesting, but that's kind of what it reminds me of is, you know, they upload your consciousness and then download it into something else. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think, I think you're, I think it's one of those topics that is, is becoming that, that is, I'm not surprised to hear that there's a show like that. I think there's been a lot of toying with the idea, this idea of can a consciousness be stored in another? I mean, I, I, I mean, I think science fiction has been playing with that as an idea for, you know, a half century in one guise or another, but, you know, the technology is, is getting to the point where, you know, as I was doing research for this book, there are, you know, there is research now into brain mapping at sort of a level that, while not possible or plausible at this point, and they're certainly moving in a direction where maybe one day it would be feasible. And I think that any time that that sort of, Specter raises, rears its ugly head, or maybe not ugly head. Maybe it's a pretty head. I don't know. But I think then you start to see <laughs> fiction. You know, you know, it's like if you go back to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the movies in the 1950s were about aliens and radiated monsters. Right about the time that Russia lost, launched Sputnik, and during the Cold War. So the things that were on the minds of Americans became sort of the fertile subject of lots of movies and books. And, you know, if you look decade by decade, whatever is on our mind, that's often reflected in our stories. So I'm not surprised that I wrote a story sort of using that and that, you know, probably any number of other people are toying with it because I think it's, you know, it's such a, it's a scary concept in that it's so different from what, what we're supposed to be as humans we're you know we're supposed to live and die and we have a soul and if we can move our consciousness into another place what does that say about our sort of our ancient ideas of what a human being is it's just it's just a neat thing to toy with right. and think about yeah it's very interesting it's kind of a the danger level to me seems right there with time travel you know if you could do it how right. dangerous would that be yeah. What are the you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we do is we don't think, you know, you know, the great Michael Crichton who wrote Jurassic Park and Andromeda Strain and Westworld yeah. and books like that. You know, his his bread and butter was all right. We have a new technology. How are we going to misuse it and not think about the consequences? I mean, that was almost always. Mm-hmm. The at the heart of what he was writing about was, okay, we know how to do, I mean, Jurassic Park is literally just about his fear that now that we could map the human genome, how are we going to misuse that? What are we going to do with it? Well, we'd probably build a right. dinosaur What park. are we going to bring back? What are we going to bring back? That, you know, exactly. How are we not going to think, think this one through? So, yeah, we, we, we're and always isn't out Jurassic of our park the, Right. And isn't Jurassic Park the big question of, you know, just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Um, right. I mean, you know, that, yes. That same kind of science. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, so, I mean, that's the, uh, the Jeff Goldblum character. that He says that literally. It's like you were so busy doing it, you didn't stop to think about whether you should. Um, and yes. I think that's a recurring, yes. recurring theme in science. And for you, when you were dreaming up this book, um, what was the inspiration behind the idea? Were you were you thinking about cloning, or you know, you know, could somebody download their consciousness somewhere? How did the ideas come together? Honestly, it came around in kind of a backwards fashion. I wasn't thinking about cloning. I wasn't thinking about science fiction at all. I I was literally trying to think of a way. I, I was spending an afternoon noodling through the idea of of how to take a traditional detective murder mystery and make it entirely and make it unfamiliar. So many murder mysteries have been written. Someone dies. There's a detective. The detective. Right. Uh, detects, and at the end we find out what happened. And I sort of said to myself, well, what have I not seen before? And, I, I, and the idea that popped in my head, well, I've never seen someone investigate their own murder. I've never seen the detective and the victim be the same person. How could I get away with that? And that was really, you know, you know the... Uh, you know, and I started running through stories that I had seen. There's a great old 50s movie called DOA, which was remade with Dennis Quaid in the 80s, about a, uh, a man that. who's po- right about a man who's poisoned and he's dying, and basically he has to de- de- be a detective and find out who killed him before he dies, but he wasn't already dead. And you have supernatural stories like Ghost with Patrick Swayze, where the mm-hmm. ghost is literally is, is, is he plays the detective of his own murder and he tries to solve it before the the murderer comes for his his wife um, Demi Moore, but he right. is dead and he's and he's a ghost. So I was like, all right, if I don't want to do a supernatural story, how could I do it? And uh, the, the 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 cheat, the workaround, the the way I figured out, I thought like, well, this would get me give me enough runway to do it. Would be well, what if? What if she's a clone? And I went, oh, that's okay. – and now I love – and now I, I, I was immediately in love with the idea. And then sort of all the research followed. And I was like, okay, well, how can I justify this? How can I build a believable world that would allow me to write this story? And so that was how I came sort of in a backwards fashion to cloning as the device or the tool or the mechanism that allowed me to, to do it. Wow! Did you ever watch the uh, Orphan Black show where she I, finds I clones did. of yep. herself everywhere? Yeah, All that was great. Place. Yeah, that no, was fascinating. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and cloning is one of those things that I think is you know like we started to see, we started to see cloning in the late '80s, or I guess the '70s. I forget when Dolly the Sheep was. Um, the Sheep. But, yeah, know, the, I remember. You know, we have the ability to clone a human being right now. Like that's not. You know that the only reason we 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 haven't seen one is because it's you know it's viewed as unethical and and we haven't crossed that line. But the technology sh- is certainly exists for us to do it. Um, so yeah, so sh- I'm going to show like Orphan Black. I mean, there are you know cloning is one of those sort of subgenres where that I think cause a lot of unease. You've seen it used in a lot of different stories as a as a sort of an uneasy scientific advance and how can it be misused and how right. can it be 
you know, um, so yeah, so it's uh, so this is my take on that uh, on that discomfort, if you would. Did you have to suddenly? Did you find yourself doing lots of science research that you never dreamed you would be looking at? I did. I mean, that's the best part about. I think one of the, one of the perks of being a novelist is getting to, you know, is getting the the excuse to sort of learn things that you didn't know, and and having to become sort of a a casual expert in in subject areas that you didn't you didn't go in knowing anything about, and and you know, I live. I, I was lucky enough to talk to, uh, you know, the other nice thing about being a novelist is that, is that if you find an expert in something that you need to know about and you're like, Hey, I'm writing a thriller. Can I buy you dinner? And will you just tell me everything I need to know? People are so incredibly generous right. with their time. And so I, you know, I, I reached out to a neuro, a neuropsychiatrist at uh, Johns Hopkins university in Baltimore. I talked to engineers at Bell labs in Texas I, you know, I, I sort of, I, I sort of use that and sort of bludgeoned my way into people's time and be like, you know, tell me, you know, give me your insights, give me your, your thoughts on it. So I did, I, I did a lot of reading and I, I talked to as many experts as I could uh, uh, politely twist their arms into, into giving me their time to making me sound much smarter than I actually am. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done some, gone down interesting research holes, and I remember seeing a, a writer meme on the internet about, you know, when did you become a nuclear physicist? And the author says, "Last right. night." Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 We have yep, to yep, step yep. into One, their skin quickly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's a lot like going to see a play. You know, it's like I'm not an expert on on any of these things. I know just enough not to make myself look like a complete fool. Um, and, and that's where you know, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like going to a, a play and, and you're sitting in the audience and you look at the stage and it's a, it's a, a home and it looks beautiful and it looks like a realistic home with lights and everything. But if you went around the back, backstage it's just unpainted (laughs) two words and plywood all nailed up like you only want to see it from the one side and I think like writing a book can sometimes be like that it's like we're not really building you know whatever we're building we just need it to look authentic enough that from the audience from the reader's point of view it feels immersive and feels real and feels like something that they can trust to be solid if they put you know, if they stand in it. And uh, so, yeah, so that, so I had some very smart people help me build a, a convincing set, I like to think, I hope. <laughs> well, that kind of dovetails into my next uh, question for you is I know you have a theater background and like I used to be an opera singer and a musical theater. And I always oh, feel wow, like okay. that really helps, helps in my writing because I see you know, I, I see a scene from standing in it kind of thing. How do you think mm-hmm. that your theater background influences your writing? Uh, oh, so many different ways. I mean, I think, you know, I, my background was sort of as a director, uh, sort of a, a, a play director. And, you know, you, you, you were often working with an existing text, a play. I mean, say, you know, whatever, you know, whatever play you were working from and you basically got into a room with three actors who were playing the characters who were in a scene and then you had to block it and you need to 
have conversations and think through, all right, you know, what are the motivations? What, you, know, wh- you know, where are you going to be when you say this? Why are you saying this? Sort of think through the dynamics of how this scene will play out dramatically to be engaging with an audience and to, and to feel lived in and real and, and, ha- and, and, and to feel, and, and not to have that moment where you're like, ooh, that doesn't, you know, I'm not buying that. And I think that translates right. very nicely exactly. to, to, to fiction. You know, the only difference is you don't have actors who are going to have a temper tantrum. And, well, that's not really true. Uh, <laughs> sometimes your characters when in your, your, your fiction will throw a temper tantrum and refuse to work anymore today. And then you're, then that's called writer's block. Um, but yeah. for the most part, it's a, it's a lot of, then you have to coax that character back out of their dressing room with promises and encouragement. <laughs> and hopefully you can get back uh, to what, to, to the business at hand. And uh, so that, I think that, that training has been invaluable in terms of how I think through, you know, how I'm going to block out a scene or how that's going to function um, and how you're going to build a story, you know, so, you know, so that when you get to the end of the play, when you get to the end of the book, there's that satisfying resolution. There's that like, you know, there's that catharsis. There's the, the that release of tension. You see the, the change. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of similarities there um, as well as differences. So it's, 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 I think that's a really interesting question you ask the way that how do different art forms relate to each other? You know, that, that, that there right. are art forms that look like they're the same, but they're often very different. Um, but at the end of the day, you are, you know, art is often a, a reflection speaking towards a human experience. So, uh, it's neat to think about. Yeah. And what did your writing journey look like? What, did you, were you working on a play one day and thought I could write that better? Um, <laughs> you know, what, what convinced you to step away from the stage and write a book? Well, I, uh, so it, it was a very convoluted, uh, non-linear, uh, uh path <laughs> that, uh, I, I often wish that I did have a time machine and could pop back and have a stern conversation with my younger self. Move that out. I, uh, <laughs> yes, let's, let's not, let's not make this as any more difficult than it already is. Uh, I was right. <laughs> after, co- <laughs> after college, I was in New York working in the theater and, I was living with a playwright and, uh, you know, New York is a, a tough town and breaking into the theater is a tough business. And at some point I started writing a book just because it, it felt easier than <clears throat> trying to get my big break in the theater. It, it, a ridiculous uh, and I, this is the conversation I would have had with my younger self was that's just a bad idea. That was just, uh, that was just not true and, 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 and whole, all kinds of foolish. Um, but I, I, I wrote a book that I wound up not being able to sell um, that in retrospect wasn't especially good and wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Um, and I stepped away and I, I think, as you mentioned in my bio, I wound up uh, an English teacher um, uh, for a decade or so. And I was writing in my spare time and it really was just sort of like a process of becoming ready. And, and I, I, I sort of took another shot at it. You know, you write, you, you sort of invest all this money in writing a book and then it doesn't pan out can sort of take the wind out of your sails. At least it did Mm -hmm. for me. And it just took some time for me to, to, I don't know, get brave enough to try again to sort of stick my 
my, put your put your head back on the chopping block, so to speak, and find right, out whether there's so this much time, rejection. It's it is a it, yeah. There's a ton of rejection, and it's it's uh, it can be really uh, enervating and, and draining to uh, to sort of go through that. Um, uh, but the second time was a charm, and uh, uh, I wrote short drop while I was still teaching. Um, it was funny that it was a funny idea. The day I went in to tell my students that I had sold a book and I was going to be an author, <laughs> one of them looked at me, looked at me, and was like, "Well, so I guess you do know what you're talking about." <laughs> and, well, <laughs> I said, "All right, smart guy." <laughs> uh, yeah, let's not get ahead of you. ourselves here. <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, no, it, I've been, I've been very fortunate and very lucky. And after the sale of my first book, I've been able to write, uh, sort of continually, uh, and, and chant and Constance is my, my sixth book. So it's been, I've been, I feel, I, I count myself as very fortunate. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I was lucky enough that I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple of times before he died. Oh, and wow. He talked about, wow. yeah. Oh, he could make you cry just talking about writing. He was so passionate about it, but he used to talk about that. He believed because he did poetry, playwriting, novel writing, you know, mm-hmm. short stories, but he believed that writing is the hardest art form because he said, when I started painting pictures, he said, you would never try to sell your first painting. You know, you can look at it and see that it's not right. And he said, but writing, you learn in school to write complete sentences, to use adjectives and verbs. And so when you put all those sentences together and you have a full novel, you think it's ready to sell. And he said, but the problem is you know how to write but you aren't yet a storyteller. And a light bulb went Mm -hmm. off for me and I thought, oh my gosh, that is exactly it. Because a lot of times people give up too soon because their book doesn't sell or whatever. And the reality is you're just not, your storyteller muscle isn't quite strong enough yet. You know, so keep keep writing because it is a craft and the only way you get better is to keep doing it. So I'm so glad that you didn't give up and that you kept writing, you know, because you were just honing your craft and getting to that point can be difficult sometimes. Absolutely. That is at the real, I, I had not heard that, that Ray Bradbury quote, but it's, I think it's, that's, I'm going to remember that. That's a, it's very astute and very, very, very true. Uh, right. You know, I, think, yeah. I think about that, you know, um, I mean, the, the one advantage that writing has over other art forms, I mean, I think he's right that, that to write a novel is such a commitment of time and energy mm-hmm. that you do. I, I think what he says, like you get done with one and you're like, okay, I have to sell this one because I just spent exactly. two years writing it. That's really right. true. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the one advantage writing does have is that compared to other art forms, it is not in terms of time, well, but in terms true. of money. Is that, you know, yeah. like, I, I don't understand how, like, you don't have to take a bunch of film, lessons. You don't have to take it, and you don't need a lot of equipment. You, don't, you know, if you want to you make a mm-hmm. movie, I'm always sort of amazed by people like a Wes Anderson who, uh, or you know, a Richard Linklater or one of these fellows who made a movie for you know, $16,000 by, like, by borrowing and, like, maxing out their credit cards. And and then basically, if it doesn't work, now you got to film and your, you know, $30,000 And a bunch of equipment. 
<laughs> right. And a bunch of equipment that you now got to, that you now need to like get rid of. Um, you know, the, the the nice thing about writing is that you, you know, and you don't have to borrow, and you don't also have to like get your friends to help you. Like writing is nice in that you you can go off somewhere quiet, and for the price of a of a notebook and a pen, laptop, mm-hmm. you can do right you, or a laptop, whatever whatever your whatever whatever your tool is, you can do it, and you can and you can and you can keep it to yourself until you're ready to share. That's such an interesting. I really like that. I'm going to think about that Ray Bradbury quote a while now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was you. really. I'm going to use it. Oh, definitely, definitely use it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. He wants to live forever, so definitely use that. But, but it really set off a light bulb for me. Um, right. You know, when I when I work with someone, it's that you you do write complete sentences, and you are a good writer. It's just the story isn't quite there yet. You got to keep you know yep. honing that storyteller skill, which there's no other way to yep. do it except to write so right. you know that i'm glad you didn't give up <laughs> thank you me too as it turns out me too <laughs> <laughs> so before we run out of time i wanted to talk about your other series the gibson vaughn series is it finished or sure. are you going to write more books than that uh it is finished question mark um <laughs> there there is i have a sixth book in mind uh whether or not uh whether or not i, I return to that you know the, the interesting about writing series is that um as you come to each new book you you know all the characters and you know the world and you have that advantage going the drawback i found is that the longer you the further you get into a series sort of the narrower your story options tell there becomes a story that's mm-hmm. appropriate for this series. And I sort of found that, you know, as I went along, I would have, I'd be having ideas such as the idea for Constance, which I actually had when I was writing the second Gibson Vaughn book. And I knew right away that a story about a clone was not a Gibson Vaughn story. Gibson Vaughn is uh, a much more traditional uh, thriller series you know, but I'd have ideas, and I'd be like, "Well, this isn't a Gibson Vaughn series book idea. This isn't right. a, a, an idea for, for this." And it, it sort of becomes, it be, at least for me, it became harder the further into the series I got to come up with stories that interested me to keep telling in this. I mean, I think it's why oftentimes the further you get into a series, you start to get that as a reader, whether it's a television series or a book series or, or whatever. It, there starts to become a sameness to them in that mm-hmm. or a formula and you're you know when you get to like your twenty seventh book in a series you start to you start to feel like okay, I pretty much you know and there's something comforting in that familiarity right but i right. but i i i I found myself i would say sort of straining at the bit or sort of like the the limitations that that series was putting a on. Segment. And I didn't, and I didn't want to get to a point where I was just sort of like churning out a Gibson Bond book. You know, I was, I really right. liked the five books that I wrote. So that, that's a long-winded way of saying, maybe if I have a really maybe. good idea, but <laughs> maybe so it's it's finished question mark. Like if it, if, it, if okay. I didn't write another one, I'm at, yeah. Uh, if I didn't, if I don't write another one, I'm happy with it. But if a great idea came to me, I'd be like. Okay, because I love those characters, and it's always sort of nice to go back to them. 
so people could binge read the five and not feel like where is the next book? So it ends on a good, yes. on a good. I think it. I, I, okay. I do. I, I think it ends on a on a good note. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, and it was it, it was so much fun to write a series where you sort of become invested and attached to a set of characters uh, over, you know, I spent five years writing it. It, it, uh, it will always hold sort of a very warm place in my heart, obviously. And for readers, too, it's always so fun to read a series because when you open the book, you settle right in with friends that you haven't seen in a while, you know. Exactly. So it's, it's and fun for readers. catching up with them. Yep. Cool. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Seeing what everybody's been up to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and for the readers out there, since the five are already out there, you can binge read because now that we have Netflix, we've all been taught that we just want to read the next one. We don't want to wait. So they won't have to wait. They can read all five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's next for you? So I'm going to write one. So I, I'm writing a, a book called Chance, which is the companion book to Constance. Um, wrapping, um, I should be wrapping that up uh, in the next couple of months and then get that off to my publisher. And then, and then I'm not sure I have a couple of, I need to, I, I, I normally have my next book sort of uh, ready to go. And, and this is sort of the first time in a long time where I'm, I've got a sort of three or four ideas that I am, I'm, I'm sort of like noodling over. So hopefully I need to noodle a little faster and, 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 uh, and settle on, settle on, settle on, the, settle on one noodle over another. Um, right. And, and right. <laughs> rank the noodles, <laughs> rank the noodles, line them up and, and have a contest. That's right. Well, it, this has been so much fun. How can readers get in touch with you after they read your book? Are you on social media or do you have a newsletter? How should they get in touch? I have all of those things. Probably the easiest, the easiest starting point is just to go to my website, uh, www.matthewfitzsimmons.com. From there, you can you know, pick your poison. I am on Twitter, Instagram. I have a newsletter, um, and all of those are available. You, there, there, there's a way to, to connect to all of those from my website. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on today. It was great chatting with you. Great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me on, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.